Hi, I'm Father Michael Dank, the associate here at St. Gabriel, and I'm actually privileged to interview my pastor, Father Fred Pauschi, who's been the pastor here for 26 years. So thank you for this opportunity, Father Fred. Thank you, Michael. It's my pleasure. Father Fred, give us a little history just about your um, how long you've been a priest, what your different assignments have been, and uh, your background. Well, I'm, I, uh, I grew up in, in a normal Catholic family. Um, only child and um, Catholic school, grade school. Um, went to the seminary after the eighth grade, so I went to uh, Ormeo High School, College, and St. Mary's Seminary, and ordained in 78, and so uh, it's coming right up on 39 years in March. And I've only had three assignments. I was at St. Augustine's in Barberton for five years, and St. Ambrose in Brunswick for seven years and 26 years here. Right. Um, so it's been um, kind of simple, but good. And you're from which parish? And I, I grew up at Our Lady of Mount Carmel in Wycliffe. Okay, and that's where you were baptized? Uh, no, I wasn't baptized. I was actually baptized at St. Jerome. Ah. Early years were, were there in Cleveland, but we moved to um, Wycliffe in time for me to start the first grade there. And I went all through Mount Carmel from first grade on. So I did make my first communion and confirmation at Our Lady of Mount Carmel and um, really was very, very close to the parish until I was ordained and sent forth. Yeah. One of the things I love to ask priests is what was your first memory of praying or an experience of God? Well, as a child, I don't know that there was anything really extraordinary we had common practices like praying before meals, praying at night. I remember having a little um, prayer corner at, in, our, in our home, and that was important to me. I remember, and I was embarrassed about this at first, um, but when I went into the seminary and found out it was uh, very, very common, I remember playing priest as I was, uh, as I was just a little child. Um, we would do things like... Um, pray the rosary on Sunday evenings, watch Bishop Sheen, those kind of mm -hmm. things. My parents were by no means um, overly involved, but very faithful Catholics. We never missed Mass on Sunday. That was never even an option, a question. Um, but it was pretty typical of the day growing up in the 50s. Um, it was um, nothing that I would say was that noteworthy until... I went into the seminary in the ninth grade, and it was certainly the grace of God and certainly the the formation program itself, and I think my desire too, you know, that it really seemed to make a lot more sense. Mm -hmm. um, prior to that, as a as a child growing up at Our Lady of Mount Carmel, serving Mass was extremely important to me. Um, at that time. Uh, we were we had tons of kids, and we were allowed to um, begin serving any time after you made your first communion. So I tried to, if I recall, I got in there right away, at, even at the end of second grade. Learned all my Latin, had no idea what oh, it was in Latin. Yeah, learned all my Latin, passed the test, um, and served as often as I could. Um, certainly, as in in the day school, we went to mass every day, but it was very very common that I would serve another mass and. Um, and I was one of the the altar boys that they they knew they could count on if they were ever in a pinch and they mm -hmm. needed somebody to fill in or serve whatever. Um, I served a lot of um, 
weddings and funerals, a lot of um, special events, um, and consequently became very close to the priests in the parish. And I think, um, you know, they were very, very good to me and very much an influence in my life as I was growing up. But my point is this, that um, there was just a real attraction to the Mass, to the Eucharist, that I didn't understand at the time. It was just something very holy. Um, and when I did serve Mass, and this is perhaps what um, motivated me to do it so often, is that there was a, a feeling that I can't describe but it wasn't, I, I never, uh, I honestly don't think I ever served Mass because I wanted to be acknowledged or seen or mm -hmm. anything like that. I just felt an attraction to the Holy. Wow. Um, even though it was in Latin and I didn't understand a lot, and um, but I learned a lot about it. And I remember being uh, so fascinated with it that I wanted to learn as much as I could about it. And I considered myself, even, even as, as a grade school student, rather expert in the rituals. Hmm. Um, I mean, I knew every little move and every little thing. I didn't always understand the why, but I but I was very, very much attracted to it and became like, like a master of ceremonies at the time, someone that kind of helped other servers and so on. But that, I recall, was a very, very important part of my prayer life, although it didn't kick in with the deepest meaning at the time. It was very meaningful to me. Um, so I, I would say that that I had going to me when we went in, when I went into the seminary, and then I would say you know I, I went to the seminary in the ninth grade, and um, almost immediately, and I, I I came in at the tail end of the old days so to speak, I entered the seminary in 1964, which was the Vatican Council was still going on, the changes in the liturgy had not been made yet, and all the you know the Vatican. Um, council thinking had not been implemented yet. So I, I felt kind of benefited by that because I, I think I benefited from the tradition of the church mm -hmm. and I was well prepared for the changes that were coming. Um, and part of the tradition was in the, at Borromeo Seminary High School, um, there was a rather rigorous spiritual pro formation program um, we used the Ignatian exercises. Um, I, I don't know that I understood them as that at mm -hmm. the time. What does that Things mean for like people that the, don't know? Like the particular examine, like, mm -hmm. you know, well, starting off, you know, with just regular prayer, like the day began with morning prayer. Mm -hmm. um, there was always at 12 or 12.15, uh, 12, there was always the Angelus. Wherever you were, you just stopped and the, you know, the bells would ring and you would pray the Angelus wherever you were. And if we were together, we would pray it together. Um, we would do, we would come to chapel about, I'm guessing like 12.15, I can't remember that well, but do the particular exam for midday and so on. Um, obviously, we would have Mass every day. That was always early because of the Eucharistic fast at the time. In fact, on Sundays, we had to, we had to have two Masses. Um, the first Mass was just kind of a, a quickie, what they call low Mass at the time, so you could receive communion, then go to breakfast, and then come back for the solemn Mass oh. at 9.30 or something like that, but not receive communion. So it was kind of crazy, but mm -hmm. that's the way it was. Um, and we did, you know, evening prayer, Compline, um, you know, the evening examination before, you know, the end of the day and so on, and 
as well as other devotional prayers, rosaries and everything. There was every night um, a time for meditation. Mm -hmm. um, meditation, if I recall, and this is so many years ago, um, was 7.15. It was either a meditation period or spiritual reading period. And, um, and then study hall would begin at 7.30. So those are the kind of things that became the routine of the day and um, gradually started to kick in as just a part of the normal uh, routine of the day. Probably one of the most meaningful or impactful things in the seminary, in the, in, in, in the seminary high school at the time, was the uh, retreat, the annual retreat. And there were a couple of days of recollection along the way, but especially the retreat, because to my knowledge, I don't recall ever being on a retreat before. Mm. They were silent retreats um, led by a retreat master. They were right at the seminary because, again, there was such a... When I was in seminary high school, we had 300 uh, students. Um, and they were usually an outsider who came in and gave the retreat in a typical way with several conferences during the day and other time for prayer and, and so on. But it was, it was silent. So um, one of the um, great retreat activities that we would have is um, it would be a good time to shine our shoes and clean out our lockers because you couldn't do anything else. Um, but nevertheless, it was a, it was a time of, um, you know, really trying to understand the meaning of prayer and the spiritual life and, uh, you know, so on. So that was, um, that was, that was important. And I remember always, I, I don't remember the retreats real well, although I do remember some of the retreat masters to this day, um, only had four of them through high school, but I do remember a couple of them at least. I, I remember being so impressed by the retreat experience. It was very, very helpful and um, added a lot to my spiritual life, I felt. Um, so those, those were some of the you know, initial things that started moving my prayer life along. And as I went into Borromeo College and into the major seminary, those things continued, changed with the Vatican Council, um, took on different forms with, you know, age-appropriate forms, I would say. They were less um, rigorous and, and scheduled and more in terms of, you know, you need to do these kind of things. So anyhow, that, that was kind of some of my early mm -hmm. um, recollections of, of developing a prayer life. I also remember uh, in the high school seminary um, how valuable it was to have a spiritual director. And uh, Father Joe McMahon was the uh, spiritual director at Borromeo High School at the time. And we met with him you know, regularly, he would give conferences, but he would also meet with us individually. Um, and that was very, very helpful. Um, I had great admiration for him and did until his dying day. Mm -hmm. And um, he was gentle. He was just um, a really a good shepherd. And um, he helped me a lot with just understanding. I think he was the one that really started helping me to understand the difference between saying prayers and praying. Mm. And that was a kind of a major insight in my life that um, I wanted to really, you know, really move to that whole thing of praying. 
Tell me a little bit more about that. What? How did he help you with that? He introduced um, idea. He didn't abandon formal prayers, mm-hmm. and he didn't in any way um, minimize their importance. But if I recall, he helped me to understand the importance of prayer as dialogue and conversation, mm-hmm. which it really wasn't mm-hmm. for me. It was just going through exercises and doing this and doing that. And I wasn't really feeling that sense of dialogue with God. And um, and, and there wasn't, even though we spent time in meditation, I think that was... That was the morning thing. In, in every morning when we went down to chapel, it was a time of meditation. And I remember one time he described it as, um, this is a time to fall in love with God. Mm. I thought, the only thing I'm falling is falling back asleep. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't quite get it. But, um, but as time went on, I started to understand that. And... That's when I think it started to, at least initially, it's still it's still a little bit of a challenge for me to just be in the presence and allow God to speak and 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 for myself to be as present to God as God is to me. Yeah. So um, those were some of the the moments that I remember. Again, um, those were many years ago. So, um, but it's funny how in, in, I haven't talked about that for a really long time, but. It's funny how those things have really stuck with me because they were really a long time, they were 50 years ago at least. And uh, I, I do, you know, look back on those and say I remember those, if I could say, even vividly sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, I, Bormel High School was a, was a really a funny thing because when I look back on it, I, I would say I could never do that again. I mean, mm. the, way, the way it was structured and how rigorous it was and everything. And yet I look back on it as one of the happiest times of my life. I was so at peace, so comfortable, and so open to do whatever they wanted us to do, whether you know it was just crazy stuff like Saturday night mm-hmm. study halls or big calluses on your knees because of the wooden kneelers or just you know living at the whim of a bell, which constantly that your whole life was dictated by bells. You know, the five minute, the two minute, and you you better be there. But it was the way it was, and it was, I was so happy there. So mm-hmm. I had to believe that that was God's grace affirming in me that he wanted me there and that this was right. Because I know, you know, even though, you know, we started out with 120 in our class in the Bormel High School, I know for a lot of guys it was pure torture. Mm-hmm. And they were good guys. They are good guys. Mm-hmm. They were bright. They were, you know, they're just, and they're good people now. But perhaps that just wasn't, that obviously wasn't God's call. But for me, and I, I will say, I wasn't one of the brightest, and I didn't think I was any flash in the pan by any stretch, but the fit was really right. Mm-hmm. And I think it was the, the spiritual life that really helped that fit to really come together well. Yeah, and it seems like from a child, that fit was so natural. Um, um the attraction as you describe it, you know, it's almost like, uh, that you're just drawn to that mystery from the time that you were a child and not even able to describe what that. I couldn't describe it, but I was drawn to it. Yeah. That's, that's very interesting. 
And, and I think it sounds like you just were surrounded by it, you know, at home, at church, yeah. you were just involved. Yeah. Yeah. What was your, uh, what was your, so they call the, the home, the primary church. What was that like in terms of just praying and learning to pray? Did you pray alone or with your family? Um, the only time I prayed with the family were the, um, before meals, and mm -hmm. we never prayed after meal. I don't know why. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that was a deal for me when I went to seminary. Um, we always said our prayers before meals. Um, my night prayers seemed to be on my own, but with my parents. You know, especially uh -huh. when I was little. You know, and they were the typical bless mommy, bless daddy, bless you know. Um, I don't remember praying a lot on my own, but I do remember having that prayer corner. Do you remember what it looked just, like? What was yeah, that? Yeah, it was a card table uh, in my room with a, a, a tablecloth on it and religious stuff that I would rearrange. Mm -hmm. A candle or two, a statue, uh, a holy card or whatever. My mom would usually bring in some flowers from the yard, ask me if I'd want to put them on there, and I would. Um, but that, yeah, I do remember that. I remember exactly where it was located, too. So that's kind of funny because I haven't thought of that in a million years, but mm -hmm. I do remember that prayer altar. And then it seems like you've really experienced that closeness of God at the Mass, which yeah. I think not all kids might experience. Some some kids are bored by going to Mass. You seem to want to go. I was really attracted to it. And, and again, at the time, it was before Vatican Council changes. Um, one of the things at the time is you were not even allowed to touch the chalice or the patent. You could do the cruets, you could do the book, you could do the you know candles when we processed, but you weren't even allowed to touch it. Only the priest could. Mm -hmm. And every once in a while when you were pouring the cruet or something like that, you would accidentally touch it. And I just remember a feeling like, Oh my gosh, I think I just touched God. You know, it's like I don't I don't know that I verbalized it that way, but it felt that way. Mm. It was something like it didn't leave me when I when I just glanced by it or just touched it. But it was that kind of a thing where mystery is a really good word. Mm. And you know, there was a lot of mystery there. And like I say, it was um I don't ever, ever recall taking it for granted or not wanting to serve. Hmm. I mean, it was always a real driving force in me that I really wanted to uh, serve Mass. I always felt comfortable in that setting, always felt, um, you know, that it was really right. Yeah. And, and I really honestly believe it wasn't, again, it wasn't for any false reasons, mm -hmm. like I wanted people to notice me or anything like that. I just really, really wanted to do it. So what... What was your call to the seminary? Was it just that natural flow of being the MC and? You know, it's that's a good question. Um, my parents never pushed it, mm -hmm. um, except, and this wasn't pushing it at all, because I grew up in Wycliffe. We passed bore mail mm. periodically, and I said, "What is this?" And um, they would just tell me what it was. It was at the time just a place where young men prepared for a priesthood, and from a very very early age, I wanted to go there. Mm. So I want, and and I had them take me there a couple of times. Can we drive through? Can we take a look? And then you know, then through school there were some tours and things like that. So that was a little bit of part of it. Um, the whole mass was a big part of it, but 
Um, one of the things that I really will credit for a, an awakening of my call was in those days, if you served a funeral, funerals were always at 9.30. If you served a funeral, you went with the priest to the cemetery. So I would go, and it was more often than not with the pastor, Monsignor Andre, to All Souls Cemetery, and um, in the car we would talk. Mm -hmm. And you would you would wear your cassock and surplus, and you had to bring the incense and the holy water and everything. That's why the servers had to go. Um, and I can't remember if it was always one or two servers. I do remember that I got out a lot of school because we, we didn't get back till about quarter to 12. And it's funny, I remember that, that time. But we talked a lot. And again, I don't think he ever pushed it. Mm -hmm. But I don't think he ignored it either. Mm -hmm. I think in his own way, he saw something there that maybe I didn't see or couldn't put my finger on. And so when it came time to choose high schools, I was pretty convinced where I wanted to go. Mm -hmm. There was just no doubt in my mind. Yeah. So, so over that transformation of, of that structured prayer in the seminary and really going through the, you know, the, the bells kind of being your, your guidance, I know a lot of priests have that struggle from transitioning from seminary into priesthood because then there's no, there's no bells, right? Or there's, there's yeah. not as much structure. Yeah. So what was that change like for you in your prayer life? Or what was it like actually just to, 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 to enter into being a priest and now being able to touch the chalice? Well, like you say, there was a lot of change. And sometimes change is a little rocky. Mm -hmm. It's not always a smooth road of progress. So when prayer times were not as dictated by the schedule, the bell, the whatever, um, I found myself sometimes realizing that my own discipline and initiative were lacking. Mm -hmm. um, it was easier to fall asleep than to fall in love. Yeah. Um, it was easier to take shortcuts. Mm -hmm. um, and again, um, it was something that, thanks be to God, there were there were spiritual directors and people to try to keep me on track. When I when I was ordained and went into my first assignment, I felt like renewed again spiritually. And so was there, there was that renewed vigor for the spiritual life. But there was also the uh, tremendous excitement of finally being able to be involved in ministry and being uh, overly in the, in the, involved in activity. Mm -hmm. um, when I look back at the kind of schedule I kept, as a young priest, in my especially in my first assignment, and even in my second assignment, it was, uh, you know, off the top, off the chart. Mm -hmm. um, I went to everything. Um, I was open to anybody. I remember scheduling appointments till eleven o'clock at night, um, and and I felt that was really the right thing to do. I felt like I was really there to serve and. and but consequently, I wasn't seeing what was lacking. Mm -hmm. I developed a, kind of a personal philosophy that when you say yes to everything, you're saying no to some things. Mm -hmm. And I didn't see it at the time. 
And I just thought how good it is. I'm saying yes to everything. I'm just doing everything. It was a good example. <laughs> <laughs> and probably you were too. Yep. <laughs> and um, so consequently, there wasn't enough time to just sit and pray. I struggled with Liturgy of the Hours. Mm. Um, I tried to do it because it was my commitment and obligation. I did it. I do it. It's a little more fruitful now than it was at the time. It was hard. Mm -hmm. Some hours were better than others. And some, because of my, um, my plethora of activities, just never quite made it. And it's still, I still have rich residual effects of that, even in my own prayer life now, that when things are normal with me, um, morning is my best time. And a lot of times, I mean, I came to the realization that if I don't get a good amount of prayer done before I leave the room in the morning, it may not mm -hmm, get done. Mm -hmm. So I just had to live with that. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I take such an extraordinary time, amount of time in the morning before I really have to be somewhere it's because there's things that I know I need to do and part of it is is at least morning prayer and you know some some kind of you know meditation or whatever it might be um, try as I would midday prayers as easy as they are and as quick as they are just never made the radar screen that often yeah um, I really like evening prayer but again that was a busy time and I find myself saying evening prayer with night prayer it's kind of messed up. And I guess I came one time to the realization that I don't want to do prayer. I don't want to pray because it's an obligation. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I understand the intent of mm -hmm. making prayer an ongoing part of your day, and that's what I wanted to do. Um, so I still struggle with that. Um, so my, my best time is morning time, but my other really best time is nighttime. Um, and I really try at night and, um, in the morning, I take some time for prayer, but um, some of it's just in the routine of the, of the morning, and that's helpful to me. Mm -hmm. um, but in, in, at night, I really do like to shut off the lights, have a candle, and just quietly pray, and then just end with night prayer. So that's that's kind of the positive of my mm -hmm. prayer life. The, um, the struggle or the challenge is extended, time um, I continually try to say uh, try to try to make a holy hour uh, a part of my life and struggle with that mm -hmm. really struggle with the discipline of that yeah. um, but I keep trying and I and again I go by the principle is a half hour is better than nothing 15 minutes is better mm -hmm. you know that kind of thing so you know I, I, I'm just on the road I'm I still have a lot, lot farther to go, but, but I struggle with it. And of course, there are times when, you know, I feel like things are really moving along well, and other times when, I'm really not doing this well at all. And it may be for a lot of reasons, some that I can understand, and some that I necessarily just can't understand mm -hmm. at the time. I love that phrase that you said that sometimes it's easier to fall asleep than to fall in yeah. love. It's yeah. really good. When you talk about, um, well, you talked about that, that awe. Or that you know the, the attraction you had to the to the Eucharist, you know I think that is it, it is the source and summit of our prayer life. What was that like for you then to transition from serving 
and then all of a sudden being the priest? Well, I'll tell you a little story that was, it's very, very meaningful to me. Um, I mean, I, I really so longed to celebrate Mass for the first time, for every time. And I, I will always remember my, uh, my first Mass of Thanksgiving because I was ordained during Holy Week at the Chrism Mass. And really, my first Mass of Thanksgiving was on Easter Sunday. Mm-hmm. And um, it was typically a big deal. Um, my classmates had all been ordained by that time because I was ill for two years. Um, so they were all there. And um, lots of priest friends were there. And I was so shook that day. And the reason why is I wasn't nervous about how to do it. I mean, I was I'm pretty good at liturgy and pretty good at, you know, rubrics and rituals and things like that. I wasn't at all nervous about that. Um, I was just overwhelmed by the magnitude of what, what it was all about. And, um, and I was just shook to the point where I was saying, can I do this? And, and so my friends, my classmates in particular, would come in. How you doing? How's it going? You know, they're yucking it up and everything. And, and I said, I'm really shook. And they said, oh, it's a piece of cake. You're going to be fine. Don't worry about it. You'll be fine. Just do it, you know. And um, so one priest um, that I felt particularly close to came in. You know, we talked a little bit. And I, I expressed that. And coincidentally, it was at the time Father Pillow was Bishop Pillow, mm. and um, I expressed how I was feeling, and he said, Freddie, don't ever stop feeling that way. Mm. I always remember that, that I never wanted to take it for granted, that I never wanted to, to be just, here we go again, mm-hmm. you know? So I really work at that, and it was, it was like right around that time where I saw that rather common... Um, plaque that hangs in sacristies for priests to celebrate every Mass with a fervency as if it were your first Mass and with mm-hmm. the faith as if it were your last Mass mm-hmm. or something. I don't even know the words, but I understood the, the meaning of it. And um, I knew, like anything else, celebrating liturgy could become a routine. Mm-hmm. I knew that it could become, you know, an old slipper, a second fiddle, and, and I never wanted it to do that. So I work really hard personally to make sure that I never do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think I'm pretty successful at that. I mean, it remains and will always be the absolute center. I mean, it really is for me of my prayer life, of my personal mm-hmm. life, of everything I do. Um, whether it's, you know, in this condition, just receiving communion or, or being able to celebrate Mass. And it doesn't matter when, where, how. Um, but one of the things that ordinarily is... Um, really important for me is I really need to take time for prayer before Mass. That's really mm-hmm. helpful to me so that I don't just, you know, go through the, just go in there and go through it, you know, because, again, it's not the rubrics or the rituals. I mean, some things you got to go over and, you know, make sure you know what you're doing, but it's the magnitude of it, and I never wanted to stop. And there's just sometimes in the Mass where you know you have to keep yourself composed and you know you have to be the presider and keep on going. But there are some times when I feel things welling up inside of me that I just have to deal with and then put off maybe until I can really just allow it to do what it 
it naturally does to me, but it, it still does that. Mm-hmm. Not always. Mm-hmm. Not always. Sometimes it just you just straight go through it, and sometimes it's overwhelming to me. Um, nothing affects me more profoundly, and I can say this, I think, in my whole life, than good liturgy does mm-hmm. in a positive way or bad liturgy does in a negative way. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think anything would upset me more than mass celebrated sloppily or without, you know. But when it's celebrated well, and especially when, you know, all the pieces and parts come together and you feel you're really, you know, prepared for it, um, it just touches me really deeply. And mm-hmm. that just is the, you know, the, the words summon source really come come alive at those times. I mean, they're they're beautiful words, but they're very meaningful at that time mm-hmm. for me. So, so that's really, you know, very much the center of what, keeps me going. Can you give a couple examples of times you felt that during the liturgy, what was happening? or? Um, I think, and, and again, it, it's not so much the size or even the, the feast as much as is that when you feel engaged and that you've had perhaps some role in helping the people to feel engaged, mm-hmm. it I think that's a good example of yeah. that. When, when I really feel it's it's the body of Christ celebrating the body of Christ. It's not just me up there going through all the motions. And sometimes that might happen just in a weekday mass or not at one of the big, you know, big liturgies of the year. Like it, it, it doesn't usually happen on Christmas Eve, to mm-hmm. be honest with you. Yeah. <laughs> but... Uh, but sometimes, just at a morning mass or an evening mass in the chapel, or sometimes I don't do it very often anymore. But you know, when I would celebrate mass with a, with my family or a family, and you could really tell that we're sitting around the table, mm-hmm. and it's really, you know, everybody really feels they are a part of that sacred meal, and it touches me. Mm-hmm. It really touches me. There are some times when it comes out of nowhere. There are sometimes, um, and it's it's not only at the consecration, um, but a lot of times just before the invitation. You know, when you look at the body and blood of Christ there and just take a, a moment, you can't take a big, long time. So there are sometimes I felt like I just wish I could just stay here. You know, it's almost like being on top of the mountain with the mm-hmm. disciples. Lord, can, can we build tents and just stay here? I just want to stay there for a moment, you know, rather than, move on and start distributing everything, which is really what it's all about, obviously. But um, those times really touch me. And oftentimes, unexpectedly. Unexpectedly, and not always. Mm-hmm. Not always. Seems very much that some of the most mystical or, or powerful times for you have been at the, at the Eucharist, which is um, such a gift, because I think a lot of people, a lot of Catholics... Some say they don't get anything out of the Mass. You know, Father, I don't really, I don't get anything out of it. What would you say to someone to help encourage them? Well, without wanting to come off as facetious, I would want to um, somehow get across the message. It's not what you get out of this. You get out of this the very presence of God. There is nothing more you can get out of this that's greater than that. But it's how we give of ourselves, how we immerse ourselves. Um, just simple things that we do sometimes, like, 
you know, and I take it for granted most of the time, but just adding a drop of water to the wine. Um, sometimes um, just the whole exchange of gifts, you know, because so oftentimes the same people who bring up the bread and wine at the presentation of the gifts are in line to receive the body mm. and blood of Christ. And that just strikes me, you know, it's like you just brought bread and wine and now look what you're getting mm. back. And it's that wow. kind of a thing that, um, you know, that just wants me to say, look at it from that point of view and never to see it as entertainment or, you know, emotionally fulfilling. Cause it's not always, you know, mm -hmm. it's, sometimes it's not, um, but, but rather from that perspective, it's, 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 we're there to give, to give thanks, to really offer ourselves, you know, as the gift and so on. And, and just to follow that word gift from bringing the gifts mm. to offering the gifts to blessing the gifts to breaking, you know, that kind of thing to see that as that that's our life journey. That's not just about the bread and wine. That's who we are. And, um, that that's really meaningful to me. Mm -hmm. I will say too, that as much as, um, the mass is truly the center, um, other significant moments that have been really extremely profound for me are um, experiencing God in nature. Mm -hmm. um, one of the reasons why I love to be near water is because it's such a powerful feeling of God's presence. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm not a water person for skiing and, you know, that kind of stuff. But being on a shore or in the water or whatever, you know, on a boat or whatever, um, it's just really very profound. Um, I'm a real fan of sunsets and mm. I don't get too many sunrises, but um, because I feel God's presence. Um, two years ago when we were on vacation just up to Marblehead, um, the girls and I, every night we went to watch the sunset every single night it was our routine and you know it got a little little i think uh earlier every night because we were on that end of the of the calendar but um and it was different every night and everybody else would say you're going back there it's the same thing it's the same hmm. sun every night it was different every night mm -hmm. and we saw what was different every night and i felt the presence of god very much there was another time and i'll, I'll always remember this time it's, it's just extremely um impactful in my life and and I believe it was I was on my priesthood retreat which I made by myself with the with the you know retreat master at uh, Loyola um, and um, I just went out one day and took a walk through the fields and there was not a soul around and so I could just yell out and you don't always have that opportunity mm -hmm. and um I, I just felt the presence of God, and especially the presence of God speaking to me. And I just laid it all out in a good way. It wasn't like I was, you know, reluctant or anything like that. I just, and I, I came to one of the most profound realizations in my life that my greatest strength, because they always ask you what your strengths are, what your gifts are, and all that kind of stuff. My greatest strength is just totally acknowledging my weakness and that God was my strength. Mm. And I think it was at mm. that point that I really felt that. And 
you know, I have to keep reminding myself of that because so many times I think, okay, I need to do this, I need to solve this, I need to deal with this issue. But it's going back to that moment. And I really feel it was a very graced moment where God was really trying to maybe lead me with the most important lesson I needed to to, to have before I was ordained is that um, that that I am weak, that I am inadequate, that I am whatever, not you know, I mean, not, it's not to say mm-hmm. I don't have gifts or anything like that, but that my strength came from, from God. So, but it was walking through that field. It wasn't, you know, um, in a holy place. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a holy mm-hmm. place, but it was walking through that field. It was the ability to just, just have no filters, no, you know, barriers, just to cry out and to say, you know, here I am. And, and I, I heard, I heard God's voice. I really did, you know, and not enough magical way or anything like that but i really felt god's voice very 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 strongly and felt again confident very very confident what did you hear um that i will be your god you know be still and know that i will be your god i will give you what you need um rely on me just all those kind of things um i don't always remember them at the time but when i do um it makes such a difference and now to this point even to this point, which good, bad, whatever it is, um, there are times when I have to deal with situations, we all do, whether it be personal problems, parish problems, whatever, where I feel, you know, I've been at this long enough, I know how to do this, and you, you jump right in and do it, and it's like, that didn't go anywhere, that wasn't right. And there are still times when I, I know Again, it could be any of the categories, and oftentimes it's somebody coming in with all kinds of baggage, or it may be, again, just a parish problem or whatever, where I just know it's way over my head. I don't have a clue what to say, what to do. I take the time to pray. I take the time to say, Lord, you promised you would be with me. Mm-hmm. Give me what I need and everything. And and it sounds spooky, maybe not to you, because you would experience it, but to, to other people, words come out that I have no idea where they came from other than from God. It's like, that kid could not have been me. I can't believe I just said that. That was really good. (laughs) Um, And and that's not what I would have thought or would have planned or whatever. But I I know that, for lack of a better term, it works Mm -hmm. when you rely on God. I Mm -hmm. really believe that. I don't always do it. I'm not there yet totally. Um, But I really believe that, that, that it works. And, and I kick myself when I when I think I don't have to do that. Mm-hmm. Even mm-hmm. to this point where I think I've got this down, I know what to do here, I can we can do this, and it's just never right. It's just never right. So I, I guess, you know, in two of the words that I've come to really um, believe in in terms of my own prayer life is the importance of just the awareness of God's presence. And that's something I really work on more than on just prayer forms and prayer Mm -hmm, techniques mm -hmm. and things like that, but just training myself just to be aware that God is with me. And even I I, I sometimes just try to do it at the most unlikely times. Um, I was going to say, like on the golf course and everything, but quite honestly, I really feel God's presence Mm -hmm. there because of the beauty of creation. It's gotten little to do with golf, much to do with beauty. I often really feel tremendous spiritual presence of God at Disney. 
Mm. And it's not about Disney. It's about beauty. It's about the flowers and the trees and the just the order of things. I think, you know, it has a little bit to do with it. But um, Disney World, for me, for me, is a very spiritual experience when I allow it to be. And there usually is always a time when I need to just get away and just let it sink in a little bit because it touches me deeply mm-hmm. in, a, in a lot of different ways. So it's those kind of things. So, um, you know, I, one of the things that I work on, and it's certainly not there yet, is that sense of awareness of wherever I am, whatever I'm doing, God is there. And I, quite honestly, it's easier to see that or to feel that in beautiful situations. It's harder sometimes when you're in the midst of tragedy, when you're in the midst mm-hmm. of pain, when you're in the midst of ugliness. Mm-hmm. Tragedy and pain, I can, I can do it. Ugliness is like God. Why would God want to be here? But He is. Mm-hmm. So I try to, you know, work on that also. And then, you know, the other element that I try to, you know, that I know is there. I don't know how well I do it with it, but it's just discipline. Yeah. Um, I don't know that I consider myself disciplined enough. And um, I know that's an area that's you got to you got to have discipline, or it's not gonna it's not gonna happen. So, and I think that's a struggle for everyone. I want to just first reflect on that Disney, maybe liturgy. There's something I think about the, it must be the art or the, the, the wonder and the awe, you know, from, of that, um, and the, the creativity maybe, but what do you think the, the connection is there between that experience? Well, one of the connections is that, and this is something that, Walt Disney said, and I've got this uh, quote on my desk at the office. He said, you can create, dream, and build the most wonderful places in the world, but it takes people Mm. to make it happen. Mm -hmm. And I think that's perhaps the most beautiful part, is that um, things that bring joy, enjoyment to people, um, unity to families, Mm -hmm. Memories that, you know, lift people's spirits. People who, um, they call them their um, cast members, the employees, who are there to help you, who treat you so kindly and with such joy, who are always wishing you a magical day or a mm-hmm. happy day or how can I help you or whatever. And, and so oftentimes I see that, yeah, that's how God wants us to be. Mm-hmm. Not in a fantasy land, mm-hmm. but in the real world. Yeah, yeah. And... Um, what a difference that makes. What a difference that makes. You know, I, I've written about this a couple times here, but one of the um, <clears throat> one of the sayings at Disney when you when you go to your resorts and everything is "Welcome home." Mm. And I think you know we've adopted that in our parish, and it had nothing to do with my having that there, but um, that's how people should feel. Always mm. home, welcome home. You know, and. Um, so I've really been able to connect yeah. a lot of the Disney uh, principles and practices with things that I believe are profoundly spiritual. They don't intend them to be spiritual. Uh-huh. It's just good uh-huh. business, good marketing, good whatever, and it works for them, and that's fine. Um, but it's for me, it's an easy jump to the spiritual life and to the life of the church. So it really, uh, it, it really is. Yeah, and probably many, well, and obviously many people, Disney's so popular, experience that. And that is really what we 
are to experience in the liturgy, the yeah. gathering together, yeah. you know, of, of all of God's people yeah. and experiencing this kingdom, the yeah. kingdom of heaven. Right. So right. that's a, a, a beautiful, you know, that's probably why that resonates so much with you. Now, so I'll just describe to the people for a little bit. You've had surgery and you've been laid up for a little bit. How has that impacted your prayer life? Well, I would say in a positive way because I feel so well. Mm -hmm. I will tell you this, that there have been times in my life when I've been either in pain or really sick where you would think, okay, I have a lot of time to pray here and it's hard. Mm -hmm. And I hear that a lot from people. You know, Father, I, you know, I've been so sick. I thought I'd have so much time to pray. I just can't pray. Yeah. And, you know, I try to tell them your suffering is your prayer. Mm -hmm. You know, you're just accepting God's will and doing the best you can. That is your prayer. You don't have to go beyond that. But here I am with a with a bad foot, and I can't get around very much. But the rest of me is really good. So I would say in these last, um, especially in the last um, two and a half weeks since the surgery, it's been really good. Um, Primarily because um, I have, you know, the time, mm -hmm. obviously a lot of time. And I think more the disposition. One of the things that, um, again, I, it's funny how you, you sometimes are embarrassed by revelations that you have that like, yeah, duh, that should, <laughs> you should be thinking that. It's one of the things that I've experienced with this. There's obviously a lot of people tell me they're praying for me, you know, and keep me in your prayers and your cards and you know, all kinds of things and everything. I really feel that. Mm. I really feel that. And I, I can't describe it, but I really believe that that's why things have gone so well. That's why this seems to be coming along without pain. Um, I mean, it's really been, you know, other than the difficulty of being strapped down, it's really been far less difficult than I anticipated. And I believe it's the power of prayer. I real even something as simple as these medications that worked out today. They mm -hmm. all worked out. She just called and said everything is fine now. So, you know, it's because I just put it to prayer. And I did. I just last night I was, you know, really anxious about this because they could postpone this eye surgery tomorrow if I don't get the right stuff. And I just said, you know, Lord, I'm going to give it to you. You know, tomorrow is the only day I have to make this happen, and it all worked out. It all worked out. I believe that. And even though um, I've been anointed. Um, you know, a number of times, especially through this thing. This last time just really touched me deeply and made such a difference that um, when I went for this surgery, and this was the, wasn't the first surgery I had, but it was the biggest surgery I ever had. Mm. I was so at peace and did not feel even the least bit apprehension, fear. You know, I was joyful. I, you know, didn't know what hit me, but um, there was no anxiety. And I have to believe that's prayer, mm -hmm. nothing else. It wasn't drugs. It wasn't anesthesia. It wasn't encouraging. It was just prayer. Mm -hmm. I really believe that. And again, um, I, I sometimes think to myself, well, here I am, 67 years old. Am I just now figuring this out, that that's what prayer does? You know, it, that's one of the effects it can have and is to set you at peace. And that healing is all about that. It's, it's my my spirit was healed, mm. you know? I mean, I knew this would take a long time, mm. but I feel healed and blessed already. And it's because of, you know, the awareness of how many people are praying for me. And also I think that I've really made, you know, have had the opportunity to pray more 
mm-hmm. and in a lot of different ways, especially with a greater awareness of how many people are going through really difficult times and so on. So I really try to spend time with that. So it's been good. When you were anointed, so, you know, I think the sacraments are ways that we experience God. Was there something that you experienced during that or was it just more the effect or the fruit of that? It was during it. It was, um, it was when you asked people to lay their hands Mm. It was just such a feeling of peace and such a feeling of God's presence and such a feeling of um, abandonment. Mm. I'm totally, I'm in God's hands and I have nothing to fear. And um, it, it was, pro- pro- that was probably the moment. Mm-hmm. It was, um, but it was certainly the whole thing, you yeah, know, I yeah. mean, the reading and the, you know, the actual anointing mm-hmm. itself, um, you know, but, but it was that time that really, I mean, touched my soul. Yeah. And I don't feel that that often. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I don't go around always feeling that every yeah. day, you know, but um, but I really felt it. Yeah, and I think that's some I of the sacramental it. aspect of our Absolutely. faith. You know, the, and there's such a powerful, the laying on the hands is such a powerful mm-hmm. part of the right. Yeah. Um, so what would you encourage someone right now that says to you, Father, I'm struggling in my prayer life? One of the things that helped me was at least distinguishing in my mind the difference between saying prayers and praying. Mm-hmm. And if I were wanting to help somebody, a few things I would say. One is I would say start with and concentrate on that dialogue, that you know, that conversation, and allow prayers to be a part of that as opposed to the mm-hmm. opposite. Because I think sometimes saying prayers can get in the way. Mm-hmm. But I think prayers can be a part of mm-hmm. praying. So I think, you know, that would be um, something I would really um, want to really encourage is that, you know, you don't need fancy prayers, long prayers. And, and, and I would say this too, you don't need prayer books, but prayer books can mm-hmm. be helpful mm-hmm. when you use them to pray, mm-hmm. you know. So I, I would say that, and then the um, the other thing I would really say, and um, I've experienced this at times and and not at others, but it's just put yourself in God's presence and listen, mm-hmm. or just be. Yeah. Um, I guess, like most people, I find myself so quickly distracted; my mind is quickly off mm-hmm. because I try to do that a lot, you know, whether it be before the tabernacle or just in the quiet of my room or whatever. That's why I think at night, it's one of my best prayer times when I can shut off the lights and everything, just have a candle, and if not, that's fine. But it shuts out visual stuff mm-hmm. that, you know, and I think by that time I, I'm more apt to concentrate. But those would be the kind of things I would say. I would say like anything in life, start small. I know sometimes when I talk with people, especially in reconciliation or just in spiritual counseling, I encourage them to to, to start with like five minutes. I said that really sounds silly, mm-hmm. but you know if you can go five minutes, good for you. Mm-hmm. Then you can add to it. Mm-hmm. Just add to it slowly. Mm-hmm. Don't start with an hour. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's really that's tough. At least for me, it is. You know, but um, but you know, start small, and build up. 
And again, that's where the discipline comes in. You know, the more you do it, then the more you want it. Um, I was very, very impressed with Glennon Bergerfall's witness this mm -hmm. weekend. I thought what he said really was made a lot of realistic sense. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was very honest. It was very, but it was very spiritual and I think very realistic. And what did he say for those well, that didn't hear? Well, you know, he talked about his own struggle, you know, with finding time and you know c continuing on with it, and how you know his participation in the pray forty days just kind of opened himself up to where it was not something that he just felt he had to do, but then all of a sudden he wanted to do, mm. and then felt a joy in doing it, and it was then it, it, I kind of got the idea of what he was saying was like, and it's like self perpetuating now because once you really get a good start, um, it, it has that tendency. Um, at first, it's not easy, and I, I liken it to um, like when I work out and do the, my physical therapy. I've been doing it, you know, regularly now for about two and a half years. And I remember when we first started out, I had been really slow on exercise, and you know, not formal, and not a lot other than playing golf and you know doing those kind of things. And I remember when my trainer would start when you doing these kind of things. And now we look back on them and laugh because they were so simple at the time, but they were tough for me. She said something to me that was really funny. She said, you know, for about three weeks, you're going to hate me. Mm. And, and I did. I didn't look forward to it. I just dreaded it, but we trudged through it. He said, after that, you're going to love me. You're going to look forward to this and you're going to really want to do this. And um, that's really the truth. Mm -hmm. And um, it's kind of like when it's not there, you really miss it. Um, and eventually it becomes a part of who you are and it becomes, you know, very, very much, you know, what you want to do. Um, I sometimes tell people who say, well, you know, we don't go to mass very often or, um, I don't really, you know, find time to pray very often. And I s said, you know, it, it needs to be something that you consciously want to do, but it also mm. needs to be part of the pattern of your life. Like, did you brush your teeth this morning? Well, of course. So why don't you just stop brushing your teeth for a week and see how that goes? Said, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's that kind of a thing. You uh -huh. know, if you don't brush your teeth at all, then you don't care if you miss it, you know. But if that's a part of, you know, your routine or your your, your hygiene, um, it just becomes a part of who you are for the right reasons. Yeah. And I think prayer is like that, too. If you, if you stop mm -hmm. praying, you're not going to care after a while. Um, well, that's good because, you you know, you talk about, the both discipline of it, but also the the awareness yeah. and awe, just being present, yeah. um, you know, and how that impacts not only your prayer but your life throughout the day. I just want to conclude with where you're at right now. So I think we're always, I know we're always growing in our prayer life, and I just like the analogy that you gave of falling asleep and falling in love. How do you find yourself now falling in love with God? Well. As you know, I've dealt with this foot affliction for four years now. In March, it'll be four years. And it's just one part of my life. There's a lot of parts of my life. But it certainly has stood out as kind of a driving force. You know, it's limited me in some ways. It's caused all kinds of things in other ways. It rerouted my calendar because of so many medical appointments, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's been painful physically in, you know, really a lot. I mean, now it's like, it's great because I don't feel the pain. Mm. Anyhow, all that being said, 
if there's any word that I would describe, to say if I describe the whole ordeal, the limitations, the pain, the everything, it's just an overwhelming sense of how blessed I am. Mm. So blessed. And I think that's what moves my spiritual life more than anything. It's just realizing how blessed I am. Mm. And thankfully, I have time to, to think about that. These aren't coincidences. They're not accidents. They're just... And, and that, you know, there was... Um, I don't know where I saw this, or maybe we saw it together, I don't know, but well, maybe it was at the convocation, I'm, I'm not sure, but that awareness that for me, this foot-ankle affliction, for now, has been my way to holiness. Mm. It's what God gave me as a gift to help me to grow in my spiritual life. And I think, you know, hopefully it will be over, but there will be more, mm-hmm. and there are other things, and some are maybe not as obvious, but there are other ways. But bottom line is that I think starting with an awareness of how blessed we are mm. is what moves us to praise God, to thank God, and to rely on God with confidence of saying that I know that what God promised me a long, long time ago, that what I really needed he would give me is, is really something I can bank on. Well, thank you. It's been a blessing for me to um, interview you, and I'm sure a blessing for all those that are that will get to listen to this. So would you just give us the privilege of your blessing for all those who are listening? Loving God, you continue to bless our lives in just overwhelming ways. You continue to call us to a deeper life in you, and manifest your presence in so many ways. We pray that you will continue to guide our life's journey, to keep us open to whatever ways you choose for us to grow in holiness, and to give us the uh, the grace, the courage, to um, want to um, continually grow closer to you in every way. So we ask you to bless all our efforts, and the efforts of so many people in so many different ways, leading people to you, helping your church, and um, I ask you in a special way, helping our parish to grow in holiness. We pray that your blessing be upon us and all that we do in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, thank you, Father Fred. It's been a a pleasure and a privilege to, to be with you, and thanks for all of you for listening. This has been another series of Praying with Priests.